We're working through a series called Word-Rooted Prayer and Worship, Keeping Your Heart Close to the Flame. And last Sunday night, we were studying how with sometimes very limited awareness, it's very easy to quench the, or at least resist, even if not totally quench, resist the prayer-enabling work of the Holy Spirit. What I want to look at tonight is the, the flip side. How, how can I know when the Holy Spirit is at work in my heart? How can you know for sure when the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart? I mean, I've, I've had times, I'm sure you have too. Someone's come up and said, the Holy Spirit really showed me, and they'll start to describe it. And I'll think, you know what? I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. It doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit at all to me. Is it just subjective then? Who gets to make the call? How do we know? So what does the Holy Spirit do? I'm sure he does many things. What I'm interested in tonight, just quickly, is a study of how can we know for sure that that manifestation in my life is the Holy Spirit. I know for sure that's the Holy Spirit, and I can gauge and sense his work. I've got three or four things. I want to keep it real simple. Again, I'm not saying this is everything the Spirit does. I'm not talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about four things that the Holy Spirit does in everyone's heart who professes to be a Christian. That is, unless we've so diverted our attention and affection that we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. But here's what he does. One. The Holy Spirit will always bring a growing distress over the condition of the sinful world or a backslidden church. I get that in 2 Corinthians 4.10, in a verse that a lot of people wonder about. 2 Corinthians 4.10, we are always carrying in the body. That's the physical body. You've got one, I've got one always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, carrying around in our bodies the death of Jesus. Those are hard words. Paul doesn't mean that he always walked around with a sour, depressed attitude toward life. This is the same apostle you know, Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He's not talking about a mood. Paul is describing the way the Holy Spirit will produce in my heart an inward sympathy with the heart of Jesus. Maybe, maybe we could say it like this. The Holy Spirit, while gentle like a dove, he removes in my heart, or wants to keep removing in my heart, any kind of easy tolerance with things that grieve the heart of God. So while always loving toward people, the Holy Spirit will always remove carrying around the death of Jesus. What do you see in the death of Jesus? Well, first and foremost, there's a lot of things. What you see is God's attitude towards sin. I mean, that's why he's there on the cross. Bearing my sin, 
has to be judged, has to be punished. So Paul is describing the way the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to produce an inward sympathy with the heart and mind of Christ. He removes indifference towards sin. We actually saw this a little bit last week in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. Groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit burdens the heart of the intercessor. We talked about it last Sunday night. He, he shapes my thoughts and he shapes my prayers in the direction of a holy God rather than my mind being shaped by the trends and popular opinions and values of this world. Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Well, it's not just an instruction that we're given with a couple sentences. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do in my heart. He establishes an inner conflict. We'll see it later on in the study more specifically, but even here I'm introducing it. He establishes an, an interburden, an inner conflict. I can't be uh, trite. I can't be glib. I can't be easily amused in a lot of the fads and trends and values of this world. No one possessed the Spirit in greater measure than Jesus. John 3.34, for he on whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. And yet nobody was more broken over the plight and doom of sinners than Jesus. I, I don't have the reference because I didn't write it down. It's, it's in the Psalms. And the psalmist prays and he says, My eyes, my eyes shed tears, he says, for the people have forgotten God. My eyes shed tears. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Two. The Holy Spirit, this is a little bit different, I'll try and explain, sets Christians at odds with, with the world. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Anybody here? desire to live a godly life. Let me see your hand. You desire, okay, you're going to be persecuted. That's what this verse says. It'll cost you friendships. It'll cause you, cost you the kind of people you can go on a date with. It'll cost you in the kind of places you can go where other people can go and you can't. It'll cost you It'll cost you in all sorts of ways. There'll be jobs that you won't get. There'll be others that you won't want to take. There'll be opportunities that won't be yours in the same way that there's someone else's. There'll be persecution. 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Here's what Jesus said. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Or John 15, 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. If you reject Jesus, you reject God. That's the problem with a host of world religions that have no place for Jesus and think they can get to God. Jesus says, if you hate me, you've ruled out God. You, you can't, you can't get there. So there's this, we're set at odds and the Holy Spirit Here's, here's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will work against my tendency to either just get irritated when I'm persecuted or to cave into peer pressure when I'm persecuted. Those are the two responses. The negative one is just get bitter, sour, mean, and angry and fight back. And the other one is I don't, I don't like the persecution and there's an easy way to avoid it. You just don't have to stick up for Jesus quite as much. What the Holy Spirit does is he comes and works in my heart, helping me, not forcing me, helping me to recognize that neither of those two options is acceptable. He helps me to understand there's a a gulf, a chasm between the ruling value center of my life under the lordship of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and that of the culture around me. Three. This is another variation of the same thing. The Holy Spirit brings a freshly realized inward conflict with Satan. I'm not one of those. I need to explain this. Remember when those books all came out, This Present Darkness and all these, everybody was going into hotel rooms and looking under beds for demons and and all sorts of just really weird stuff that I don't think Christians needed to worry about. But, but the work of the Holy Spirit is to make me aware of the work of the spirit of this age in places where no one else is even looking for it. And particularly, it will be manifested in the entertainment industry. Paul says, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you, Christians, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's the nature of this conflict. It's inward. Paul places it in the thought life. That's why he uses that word schemes, verse 11. The place where the Holy Spirit wants to bring victory in my life before anything manifests in actions is my mental life, my thought life. He exposes thought patterns, schemes that are of the spirit of the age. They're not they're not just that movie. They're not just that program. They're not, there's something behind them, Paul says. This is key in understanding Paul's thought in that Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. 
The Holy Spirit works in my life to expose deceptions, schemes, before they produce bondage in my actions. I think that that says it. The Holy Spirit works to expose deceptions, schemes of the devil in my mind before they manifest bondage in my actions. So he, he, he works to lead me away from temptations before I'm caught in what the psalmist calls the snare of iniquity. That, to me, was the kind of spiritual warfare that the Holy Spirit always wanted to lead Christians more deeply into. The point here is that only only the Holy Spirit, through his word, through the body of Christ in gatherings like this, through my devotional times, in my prayer life, It is only the Holy Spirit who creates conflict with the enemy. The masses of this world are numb to the kind of bondage and deception they are under. I get that in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Paul writes to Christians in the church, and he talks to them about their past. And it's interesting, he doesn't just say, of course it's true, but he doesn't just say, and you used to be sinners, but now you're forgiven. There's nothing untrue in that. It just, it doesn't go anywhere near as deep as Paul probes in these verses. Listen to these words. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Well, why why were they walking in these sins? Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, small s, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there's, we were looking tonight at the way the Holy Spirit works in Christians, but Christians are not the only ones who have a spirit at work in them. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See those words, the rest of mankind? There's Christians, and then there's the rest of mankind. That's pretty much everybody. And he says, all of them. Their problem isn't just that they do bad things and they need to buckle up and be nicer. The problem is there's, there's like a, he says, a course, like a channel. They're all in it. They can't get out. Why do they all follow the same direction? Because there's a spirit at work in them, but they don't know it. When the Holy Spirit comes into the believer, the first thing he does is, is he sets up a conflict that the rest of the world is unaware of. So, so the world looks at you and it just says, well, you're like that because we well, are just a prude. You just, you just don't get it. You're not in the real world. You guys and your Bibles and your, and your prayers and your, your religion, and you're just not in the real world. And they don't realize, they don't realize that the only reason Christians appear that way to them is because there's a totally different spirit at work in them, but they don't know it. They don't know it. You look irrational. 
because there's a totally different spirit, the spirit of Christ working in you. And it's not just there's these spirit-indwelt believers and then just natural people. These natural people, and they are called that in places, but they're, they're following a different spirit that's at work in them. It is only the Holy Spirit. This is my point. It is only the Holy Spirit that exposes the nature of the bondage that people are in without the Holy Spirit. And that's something we need to never lose sight of. The world is totally under the dominion of Satan, but it doesn't feel his influence. They are bound, but unaware. Only those who learn to walk in the Spirit will sense the opposition of the enemy and recognize it. They don't need to fear it. They need to recognize it. It, It's much like, who, who knows the power of the wind more than the person who walks into it? That, that's the Christian and the conflict that the Holy Spirit sets up with the world around. It's important to remember that there's nothing sinful about sensing this conflict with the spirit of the age. It's the first step to victory. It's important. Four. The Holy Spirit brings a deeper sense of conflict with self. This is different. I'm not talking now about conflict with the world, and I'm not talking about conflict with Satan. I'm talking about conflict with self. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh, you have those. I have those. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit, capital S, are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. This is not the same as the conflict with Satan. This is the battle we face with the pull of the world on our own desires. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We sang about it or talked about it this morning in the devotional. The Holy Spirit, if given any place in my life at all, will bring a growing distaste for my own inner attraction to iniquity. It doesn't occur at the same pace with everyone. That You got to be careful with that. You have to be careful with people who come with a great testimony of God's delivering work immediately in a situation that you're still praying about and waiting and waiting and waiting for victory. And it's going to be easy in a situation like that to conclude that God is working in this person and he's not working in my life at all. And that's not the case. This victory over self doesn't come at the same pace in all areas. There's another area where this person with an actual, true, glowing testimony of personal deliverance, there's another part of that person's life that you're not hearing about where they're still bound in different areas where God's working in your life. Do you you get what I'm saying? It's very important. I think if there's anything that we need to be just a little bit careful about, I don't mean it's 
it's not the worst thing in the world, but something that we as a Pentecostal church, we need to be careful that that it's not always pictured that the Holy Spirit comes and the number one thing he wants to do is just bless us and make us happy. Because, because, because for sure, at least a big part of the Spirit's work that we're looking at tonight isn't to make Don Horbin happy. It's to make Don Horbin aware of conflict and to give me strength for it and, and to set up division with, with parts of my life that still want to go in a direction that aren't pleasing to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is not just going to kind of tickle my fancy when there's areas where he wants to set up conflict and wants to make me aware of danger. A conflict with selfish desire isn't the same as condemnation for sin. That's something else I think we need to remember. Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Every word in those two verses is important. The verse does not teach. The verse does not teach that we are instantly delivered from any struggle with sin. That's not what those verses teach. What we are immediately delivered from is the condemnation of the law. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The verses don't say, now that Jesus has come, you don't have any conflict with inner sin. No. What I'm free of is condemnation that, that makes it possible for me to pursue holiness and be and be brutally honest in listening to the Holy Spirit's exposure to parts of my life that I don't want to face. And I can do that safely knowing there's still no condemnation. Those changes, those inward changes that the Holy Spirit wants to make ongoingly in my life, I now now pursue holiness out of love, love for Christ, not fear, I'm never good enough. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make Jesus really happy by just letting him beat on me for being such a wretched person. No. We're free from condemnation. But that doesn't mean we're free from struggling with sin. I'm now free to pursue holiness. Because of the inward work of the Spirit, I can pursue holiness without fear of the external scolding and condemnation of a broken law. Rather, love for Jesus is what motivates my hatred of my own sin. Love for Jesus is what motivates my own hatred for personal sin. It's not just beating myself up. Five, this is the last one. The Holy Spirit brings a deeper awareness of the peace we have with God. Right now, where we are on our personal level of sanctification, with more work to be done for sure in my life, 
Romans 5, 1, and then verse 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Don, what about the Holy Spirit? Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, the context makes it clear what it is that the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts. It's an awareness of the love God has for us. This does not contradict any of the other points, the first four points. The way the Holy Spirit sets up conflict with the world, with personal sin, the, the way the Holy Spirit makes me aware of the work of the enemy and the spirit of the age that dominates the culture in which I live. None of that is morbid. It's honest, it's truthful. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit brings an awareness that God is, by his spirit, working in my life, on my side in all of this. Working to change me for sure. Keeping me alert for sure. Helping me recognize the danger of the enemy in this world for sure. Helping me recognize the danger of my own desires for sure. Why does he do all this? Because of the love that he pours into my heart for God. And I want to see his work just deepened and deepened and deepened in ever fuller ways. So, the next time you're sitting there and whatever you're watching on whatever streaming service you have and you're sitting there in your family room and you just, I know it's different, I know it's a different world we live in, but sooner or later, as you sit there and what's coming across the screen, at least listen to the Holy Spirit when he says, Don, how many of these F words are you going to sit and listen to before you turn that off? Because my work in you is better than that, Don. Don, how many people are you going to watch just hopping into bed with each other while there's syrupy romantic music in the background and everybody finds it humorous or delightful or romantic? Don, how long are you going to watch that before you listen to my spirit? And, Don, do you always have to be right and win every argument? And the little checks that he puts in our hearts. That's how you know his presence is there. That's how you know he wants to work in your life. And the reason he's doing it is not to take, not to take any joy out of my life whatsoever. But to increase and develop my love for Jesus that he knows never will grow in this environment. And everybody said, thanks, Lord. We would never make it in our Christian walk if all you gave us were written instructions and left us on our own. We don't just have Bibles. We have what's called the sword of the Spirit in our Bibles. Make us tender, sensitive, recognizing the voice of your spirit when you work in our hearts in these five areas. When we worship now, 
It's because we recognize all you have invested in us and how committed you are to us. And we want your work deepened in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.